Thanks for tuning in to the 76th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, whether you are listening via WJCU, WCET FM Radio Network on Late Night in the Midlands, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, whatever avenue you are hearing me. I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Saturday morning. Being recorded from 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 the Lane residence in Buffalo, New York. But a uh, great show today. Gonna have Danny Cunningham on. Uh, he's a reporter for the Score North. Uh, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to get his insight, what he's heard about the Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns incident in the beginning of the year. For those of you who don't know, I'm gonna set the stage. I think it's really interesting. And when I was talking to people, what, what questions should I ask? You know, what would be interesting? You know, what type of guests should I look out and reach out to? Danny was one of the things that was mentioned to me. So this is what happened with, between Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. Jimmy Butler, uh... Comes into practice, I guess, one day, and he's like, you know what? Bleep you, you, and you. I'm about to beat all you guys with the practice squad team. And I guess he did it. So going to get uh, Danny's opinion on that, what really happened. Because that's been kind of like a story of legend, and that's one of the most interesting things I've ever heard of in the NBA, you know, my time watching the NBA. Also going to have my friend and uh, fellow podcaster Chris Critton on the show, uh, host of the Average Sports Guy podcast. Going to have him on, and I'm going to have a little bit of a debate with Chris. Me and Chris C. have two different opinions on what Zion Williams should do. Chris thinks Zion should sit. I think Zion should play. So me and Chris are going to duke that out a little bit and talk a, a lot of bunch of other stuff as well, including Michigan football. And I'm going to ask him, since he's a big Michigan football fan, what he thought when Michigan got blown out by Ohio State. I'm going to have to ask that question. It's probably going to be needling Chris a little bit, but I, I got to do it. I got to do it. But first, what we're going to start with, LeBron James passed Michael Jordan on the all-time scoring list. LeBron James is now fourth. There are only three men in the history of basketball that have scored more points than one LeBron James. Number one, Kareem. Number two, Carl Malone. And number three, Kobe Bryant. LeBron James will probably pass Kobe Bryant next year. I assume he'll pass Carl Malone. Kareem will be hard, but he could probably do it if he plays long enough. But here's what we need to get to in this conversation. One of the hottest sports talk conversa- conversations, one of the b- hottest barbershop sports conversations out there. Is LeBron James actually better than Michael Jordan? And you know what? This is what I have to say. Nah. Let me just say this one more time. Nah. Hell, LeBron James is not better than Michael Jordan. You know, see, coming up, right, in Buffalo, everybody was always a big uh, LeBron fan. Because Buffalo doesn't have a pro basketball team, so everybody just gravitates towards the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland Cavaliers have been good the last 10, 15 years because they've had LeBron James on their roster for various runs. Whether it be uh, the the incarnation where they went to the uh, NBA Finals and got swept by the Spurs. Or where they have Mo Williams and Antoine Jameson. Or when LeBron James came back to Cleveland after going to Miami for four years and had uh, Kyrie and Kevin Love on the team. Right? Cleveland's always been good with LeBron on the team. And since Buffalo is, you know, kind of a small sports town, in my opinion, it, I think people tend to gravitate towards LeBron, towards the Cavs. LeBron's the biggest star in the NBA, the biggest star in sports. Me, I was always a Kobe fan, so I was kind of always against LeBron people. Just had to put that out there for the record. So I've been hearing this LeBron talk, and it just got exacerbated. It just got worse and worse. It got louder. The noise got louder when I went to John Carroll School in University Heights, Ohio, in Cleveland. And I hear more of LeBron's the GOAT, Daryl LeBron's the GOAT. Look at LeBron. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I will say this one more time. No, LeBron James is not better than Michael Jordan. I don't want to hear that discussion. I'm okay hearing the discussion is LeBron James better than Kobe. I will hear that discussion. 
I will hear the discussion. Is LeBron James better than Kareem? I will hear that discussion. I will hear the discussion. Is LeBron James better than Magic Johnson? I will hear that discussion. I will hear the discussion. Is LeBron better than Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain, and Bill Russell? I will hear that discussion. But I will not entertain the discussion. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? Because he is not. First, people are going to say, oh, he scored more points. Is he a better scorer? No, LeBron is not a better scorer. But then you're going to say, Daryl, LeBron was more efficient. LeBron, for his career, shoots 50% from the field. Michael Jordan, for his career, shoots 49% from the field. LeBron James is a slightly better three-point percentage than Michael Jordan. But let me explain to you why those two things exist. First of all, Michael Jordan played in a much tougher defensive league where you could hand-check and you could hold offensive players and impede their progress and their movement which made it harder to score. Also, back in the 90s and the late 80s when Michael Jordan played, the three-point shot wasn't emphasized. So LeBron James got on more three-point shots. Neither of them were great three-point shooters, but LeBron James has a better percentage because if you're both around the same as a three-point shooter and one of the guys just getting it up more, you're probably going to have a slightly better percentage. That's the way these things work out. That is the way these things work out. Now that we got that out of the way, who's the more efficient? Who's the better scorer? Obviously, it's Michael. Who's the better defensive player? Michael Jordan has done something that not many basketball players can say they've ever done. He's done a couple things that most basketball players can say they've never done. And I'm going to give you the list. Number one, and most important, he won six NBA championships. That's really freaking impressive. How many stars have won six NBA championships? The only Pantheon player that's won more than Michael Jordan. By Pantheon, I mean top ten. The LeBrons, the Kobe's, the the Bill Russells, the Larry Birds, the Magics. The it's only been Bill Russell who has eleven. Only Bill Russell. Okay, that's impressive. We got that. Cha ching on Michael. In those six championship runs, was Michael the best player on the team? You know, we always talk about this now. Who's the star? Who's the alpha? People ding Kobe Bryant because Kobe Bryant has five rings, but those first three came with Shaquille O'Neal when Shaquille O'Neal was unanimously the best player in the NBA. So people downgrade Kobe and say, you know, those two rings when he won with Pau Gasol in 2009-2010 are worth more than the ones he won in the early 2000s with Shaquille O'Neal. Michael Jordan was the best player on all six of his championship teams. So he won six championships, was the best player on all six of those championship teams. That's very hard to do. No other player besides Bill Russell can say that. And then, he's undefeated. He's never lost. Three. Now let's go to four. If you don't want me to talk about the postseason, right? I'll just say this. Michael Jordan has five MVPs. More than LeBron James, who has four. Ching. Another one in Michael's book. Then I'll go to something else. Michael. One of the only players in NBA history to win... MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. LeBron James can't say he did that. Michael Jordan has more all-NBA defensive team appearances than LeBron James. Michael was a better scorer and a better defensive player than LeBron James. LeBron James was a better passer and a better rebounder. Michael was still a very solid rebounder and still a very solid passer. It all evens out, and it's, you can make your arguments fairly close. But at the end of the day, LeBron James is not Michael Jordan. And then I will also say this. Michael Jordan realistically could have won nine straight championships in a row. He could have won nine straight. Had his first three-peat, took the two-year hiatus, came back, had another three-peat, and then uh, the Chicago Bulls broke up the team. And they decided not to go for a fourth-peat. Uh, go for the fourth-peat, go for the fourth straight championship. They decided not to do that. So realistically, you can make the argument that Michael could have won nine straight. I mean, could have Michael's Bulls in that two-year window... Could they have beat Hakeem Olajuwon, the Houston Rockets, who won the two NBA championships during that span? I think they could have. Then when you look at when Michael retired, retired in 98, in 99, I believe, the San Antonio Spurs won. Could Michael have not beaten Tim Duncan and David Robinson? I think he could have. That's very possible. In fact, I would say it's plausible. So here is what I need to say. Michael is a GOAT. LeBron James is as high as second in my book and as low as fifth or sixth. We can can hash out, is LeBron better than Bird, Magic, Wilt, Bill, all day. 
And it's all credible arguments you can make for all of them. At the end of the day, right now, I have LeBron James three right now. Three, four-ish. Four, three-ish. But he's not better than Michael Jordan. He's not. And then, here's one thing, more thing I will say. And after this, we're going to have uh, Danny Cunningham, a uh, reporter for uh, scorenorth.com. Uh, Michael never lost a playoff series where his team was favored and he had the best team. LeBron James has lost multiple playoff series when his team was favored and he had the better team. 2011, Miami Heat versus the Dallas Mavericks. LeBron James' team was favored. 2009, they lost, the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by LeBron James, who won MVP that year, lost to Dwight Howard and the Orlando Magic. Again, LeBron James got swept. Actually, no, he didn't swept, get swept. He lost in five games, excuse me, to the San Antonio Spurs his last year in Miami when I think they were favored and I think they actually had the better, more talented team. So LeBron's lost multiple player series when he's been the best guy. He's been the alpha. And to me, you can't have that. Now, LeBron's had series where he's won when he hasn't had the best team. For example, Golden State in 2016. And I give him credit for that. When he, in 07, when he beat the Pistons in the conference finals, I give him credit for that. But also, he lost when he was the best. So it all evens out. Michael never lost when he had the best team. Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. And have Danny Cunningham on the show. Cut him next after the break. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Dandy Cunningham. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for scorednorth.com. How you doing, Danny? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Now, now, the first thing I want to ask you is this, uh, about the Minnesota Timberwolves as a whole, because uh, this is what everybody this is what everybody's been talking about, at least the people I talk to. They, they want to know, so what exactly happened between Jimmy Butler and... And Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins that day when I guess Jimmy Butler came in and is like, okay, I'm beating you guys with the C team. So what exactly happened that day? So in all honesty, I was not here yet covering the Wolves, but what I do know is that there was a disconnect in the locker room, mostly between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. Those two didn't see eye to eye throughout that entire situation. Jimmy didn't feel like Carl took things seriously enough. Obviously, Carl is on a nightly basis trying to prove that wrong right now. And he's, he's doing a pretty good job. I think that Carl is likely going to be named an All-NBA player for the second consecutive year. But in terms of what happened in that practice, I do know that there were some guys that essentially were third stringers or end-of-the-bench guys, end-of-the-roster guys fighting to make the roster. And Jimmy essentially showed up and said, I'm going to dominate without shooting with these guys we're going to win. And I guess that's what he went out and did. Now, no one outside of Wolves personnel actually saw what happened. It's not as if it, it's not like an NFL training camp where fans and media can watch the team practice. It, it's a closed practice, so we all are relying on details from sources that have told us things, but no one in the media actually saw it. So that's the the one thing that is a little bit disappointing. Is there will always be a little bit of a cloud of mystery surrounding that day, but I. And the, the biggest issue is that Jimmy and Carl didn't see eye to eye. Yeah, and actually, I was thinking about that. You know what they should do? They should make a game of zones off of that. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in Game of Zones it is mentioned. I know Bleach Report is supposed to be coming out with uh, the next episode or a new episode for their next season or whatever, but I think that that one's focusing on the Eastern Conference. At some point, they have to touch on the Jimmy Butler situation. They just absolutely have to because that is... That content is too good for a game of zones to not capitalize on. <laughs> I know. They make fun of everything else. I know that they had to do that. Uh, my, my, my next question, though, is, uh, I guess, an incident you, that you probably were there for. Is, uh, uh, so, Russell Westbrook and Carl Anthony Towns have a little spat uh, last night. And uh, I guess Russell Westbrook ends up being like, you know, talk to me when you uh, make the effing playoffs. What was that about? How did that happen between Carl Anthony Towns? It was like uh, Russell Westbrook versus Carl Anthony Towns and Darko Sarge. How did that uh, manifest itself? So the, the funny thing is, like, the Wolves have made the playoffs. They were in the playoffs last season. Carl Anthony Towns has made the playoffs. Both 
these teams made the playoffs last year, and the record between the two games, they played seven games since the start of last season, and the Wolves are 6-1. and one. They're 3-0 and oh this year despite being underachieving. So, Russ, essentially, I think he was trying to get, because Carl played really well in that game on Tuesday night. He finished with 41 points and 14 rebounds. He was fantastic. So, I think that Russ wanted to try and find a way to get him off of his game, and in doing so, that's something that would also help him be able to kind of take control of the game. And I think that's that, that was a ploy to do that. What he said, listen, Carl's made the playoffs. Maybe it was a shot that you haven't made the playoffs as the best player on your, on your team because Jimmy Butler was the better player last year in Minnesota. But it was more so an attempt at him to get Carl out of his game because there was no way that the Thunder could stop him otherwise without one, getting him in foul trouble, which they did successfully for a little bit, but two, getting into him mentally. Yeah, now you mentioned, you know, getting into Carl Anthony Towns mentally, like it's kind of like what Jimmy Butler did, I guess, a little bit, Russell Westbrook's doing this. What do you think Carl Anthony Towns' reputation is around the NBA? I think his reputation is someone that is unstoppable offensively, but someone that hasn't been enough to constantly promote winning. And unfortunately for him, I don't think that that all falls on him. I do think that he has drastically improved how good he is defensively because coming into the season, he was not a good defender. And even the first couple of months of the season, the metrics will tell you he was not a good defender. But he has gotten much better. He has been, he's been not great. He's never going to be at the level of a Rudy Gobert or even a Joel Embiid defensively. But he can be an above average defender. He's been that really since the start of 2019. So I think that that is definitely helped his reputation. But unfortunately for him, he always gets grouped into being part of the core with Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins has done nothing but underachieve throughout his whole career. So when outsiders look at the Wolves, they think Wiggins and Towns, well, they underachieve, so Towns can't be that good. But in reality, Towns has carried this team, and Wiggins has been almost dead weight. And you, you mentioned that, because to me, when I look at the Timberwolves, you know, my bigger problem was always Andrew Wiggins, more so than Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I think Carl Anthony Towns' motor could just generally be higher, but, you know, I mean, I, I have no problems with Carl Anthony Towns for the most part. Andrew Wiggins, and here's my question. Andrew Wiggins is a guy that, uh, he's so talented. Like, he, he's just, and I guess maybe that was part of Jimmy Butler's problem with him, too. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is so talented, but I feel like he doesn't get the most out of his ability. Do you see that? Uh, Wiggins certainly does not get the most out of his ability. There's no question that, that he's underachieved. Uh, effort. Towns does. I think Towns is getting there. But Wiggins, and he's been one of the, it's hard to say one of the worst players in the NBA. But statistics will show you that. His win share numbers are terrible. He's in the, the mid-300s in win shares, and there's only like 400, 400 guys on NBA rosters across the league. And for him to be playing 35 minutes a night is tough for the Wolves, but the Wolves are behind the eight ball because they signed him to that ridiculous contract. That's why it's a struggle for them. That's why it's hard to see a very bright future for this franchise. Yes, Carl Anthony Towns is fantastic. He's an all-NBA player. He keeps getting better, but they're going to be weighed down unless Wiggins can become a better basketball player because he can't figure out he, – they can't figure out a way to be successful with his money on the books if he's not contributing anywhere near that level. So what, what do you think the Timberwolves are going to do? Do you think they're going to just have to be like, we have Wiggins, we have Towns, we're going to have to ride and die with these guys? Or do you think they're going to look at trading Wiggins? Or what avenues do you think they're going to do to rectify the situation? I think that this offseason, they're likely going to have a new general manager. I think Scott Layden is going to be relieved of his duties at the end of the year because he was tied with Tom Thibodeau at the hip, essentially. And they didn't fire both of them at the same time. But it, it's become pretty evident that Scott Layden is on thin ice. And I don't personally think he will be retained after this season. I think that they're going to end up going in another direction with that position. And I think that the next guy is going to have to make a decision on him. Because right now, you can't trade him and get anything of value back. He's just not worth it with that money. In fact, you probably... Now, how much do you think, because, you know, and I've noticed this, since the Jimmy Butler uh, trade, Carl Anthony Towns has played a lot better. Uh, do you think that the trade of Jimmy Butler was able to help Carl Anthony Towns, you know, kind of settle into his role as, like, the leader of the team and, you know, uh, get more touches on, touches on offense, have more responsibility on defense, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think that 
I do think that it helps Carl break out of his shell. I think that, and the numbers will back this up. Carl's played the best basketball of his career since Jim, since really the whole Jimmy Butler situation died down, and, and he's been gone and, and in Philadelphia. Really, the, the past five games he's been fantastic, and I know they play again tonight against Detroit, but he's been unbelievable lately. I think that he's also become more of a vocal leader in the locker room, and I think part of that does have to do with his contract status because how he signed that next season on the this past summer. If he makes the All-NBA team, he'll be making $190 million over the next five years. That matters in locker rooms because it, it is a little tough to speak up when you're on a rookie contract, when you're not making the most money in that locker room. It, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's your place. But now that Towns has asserted, asserted himself as the leader of this team, there's no question that it is his team. And there was questions about that when Jimmy Butler was in Minneapolis. So I think that that's one thing that certainly helps him become not only a better leader, but a better basketball player, too. Now, what do you think Towns' ceiling is? How good do you think Carl Anthony Towns can be? I uh, I actually wrote a little bit about this for something that's coming out tomorrow at scorenorth.com. But I think that it's unfair to say, it's unfair to judge guys these days whether or not they can be the best player on a championship team. And that's because if you look at every championship since Miami won the first title with LeBron Wade and Bosch, the best player on a championship-winning team has been LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, or Kevin Durant. That's an awfully high goal to be. I mean, those are once-in-generation once in high players. I, you can make the argument LeBron's the greatest of all time. You can make the argument there's never been a scorer as smooth as Kevin Durant. There's never been a shooter in the history of basketball as good as Steph Curry. And Kawhi Leonard was the best two-way player in the NBA. I don't think Tom can get to that level. But I think that Towns' ceiling is probably that second tier of guys. Maybe he's not the best player on the championship team. Maybe you need another superstar with him to win a title. Maybe you, you need to find someone nearly as good as him or just as good as him to become a contender. But there's no question that he's going to be a perennial all-star, that he's going to be a guy that's going to make numerous all-NBA teams. That I think he can, he can be a top-ten player in the NBA. I just don't think he can get all the way up to like top three or top four. And I think it's interesting, too, and I think a lot of people forget about that, too, and that's an interesting comment because uh, even if you look back, if you look at, back at Steph Curry, what he was, his third, fourth uh, year in the NBA, I don't think anybody thought Steph Curry was going to be the Steph Curry is now. The same with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Kawhi Leonard came to a situation where he was behind a Tim Duncan, a Mount of Ginobili, a Tony Parker, and he was like just part of a cog of the system. Steph Curry, the Warriors weren't doing well. He had ankle injuries. Nobody knew Steph Curry was going to be a back-to-back MVP. I think the only two guys you could name that people thought after the first two or three years, they said, oh, hey, those two guys are going to be really, really great are Kevin Durant and LeBron. And there's not a lot of players in NBA history that that have ever been better than those two. So do you think that, you know, since, I guess, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, his script isn't written yet in terms of how good he could be, he could end up being a guy that we think of as at least a top five player in the NBA? I'm not sure. It, it, it's a tough question because we judge guys so often when they're able to be more versatile. And Carl's very versatile per step Twitter, but it's hard for him to dominate the ball in the sense of he can go coast to coast all the time. He can bring the ball up, that you can run things through him on the perimeter. It's just tough for a guy, a guy of his size to do that. That's the thing that holds him back. And it's, there's nothing he can do. He has really improved his playmaking and his passing and, and being able to handle the ball, but he's never going to be a lead at those levels. He's never going to be able to, he's never going to be a Kevin Durant where he can grab a rebound and walk the ball up the floor and then do whatever he wants. And I think that that's the biggest detriment to the game. And it's really no fault of his own. It's just the, the way he was built, really. Now, a question I want to ask you, Danny, is this. So Tom Thibodeau, you know, he was fired kind of unceremoniously, I might add. Uh, he was fired after they beat the Lakers. Uh, how did that happen? Because I've never heard of that in my life, a coach being fired after a, a win, and I believe it's kind of a blowout win. How, how does that happen? It was a blowout win, you're correct. They beat the Lakers that day. It was January 6th. They won that one 108-86. to 86. The, Wolf, the Wolves had played a Friday night game after getting back from a road trip where they lost two out of three to New Orleans and Boston. They beat Miami the day before on December 30th. Prior to leaving for that road trip, they choked away a game against the Atlanta Hawks that they had no business losing. The Wolves were up five points in the last minute, and they ended up losing 123 to 120 in overtime. I think it's fairly plausible to think that the Wolves' front office and ownership made the decision 
that Tom Thibodeau was not the guy after that Atlanta loss. That happened, there were five more games before he got fired, but at that point I think that they knew. And I think that they were waiting for the right time for their for them to be able to implement that decision. And that next week they played so they played Sunday when he got fired. They played Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So they had time for Ryan Saunders, the interim coach, to kind of get things together with only three games that week. So I think the decision was made well in advance of that Lakers game, but they were waiting for the proper timing to not necessarily really throw this franchise into absolute chaos. I think they wanted to be able to have a couple of days where things could settle down before they had to worry about doing so much. Yeah, well, I th- it was it was interesting. I will say I never heard of that before. Uh, <laughs> getting fired for it. You can't can't forget uh, back in, in Cleveland in 2016. Yeah, the the Cavs fired David Blatt. They were 30 and 11, and I believe they were coming off a blowout win over the Los Angeles Clippers. So it, it's not as if it's unprecedented. It's rare, but that was when the Cavs made the, the, the decision to fire Blatt essentially after they got. Most by the Golden State Warriors on Martin Luther King Day. They came back later that week, and I think they beat the Clippers by 20 points, and then they fired David Blatt a day later. No, you were right. That is, I mean, that, I believe the Cavs were uh, number one in the East at that time, too, when they uh, fired David Blatt. They were. They had, uh, they had the second, I think they had the second best record in the NBA behind Golden State. Now, uh, my, my last question for you, and I think this is really interesting, too, and I just want to know this. Uh, so, Derrick Rose, right? Uh, Derrick Rose has kind of had a little bit of resurgence. He's had big games for the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. How has uh, Derrick Rose become a key contributor to a team? And when we thought a couple years ago his career was over. It's really been impressive to see his resurgence this season. He has fallen off a little bit as of late. He hasn't been as good of a player. He's been battling some injuries throughout most of the second half of the season. He's had an ankle injury that's really hampered him, really, for all of 2019. But a big reason why he was so good earlier this season was because his three-point shot was the best it had ever been in his career. Now, that has fallen off at an extreme rate. He's, I think he's won for his last 27 from three, which is really bad, obviously. But prior to his ankle injury, he was shooting 47% from deep. That's why, because his game opened up, everyone had to respect his shooting ability. They had to try and chase him off to, off the line, and that opened up so much inside the paint. It opened up driving lanes for him to get to the rim, unlike he's ever been able to do before, because you never really had to respect the outside shot. He had never shot higher than 34% from deep in a season, even when he was an MVP in Chicago. So that's really why that resurgence was able to take place. Now, it slowed down, and he still was able to do things. And on the nights when Derrick Rose had it going on, it's really fun to watch, but those nights have become a little bit fewer and further between just because of the injuries that he's dealing with throughout the second half of the season. He hasn't, hasn't been able to stay healthy. There were, at one point this season, he had played five games in which he had 38 minutes or more played, and in the, in the game immediately following that, he was either inactive due to injury or could not finish that game due to injury. That's been the problem with there, is that his body doesn't recover at a quick enough rate anymore. And that's, that's what happens when you go through as much physically as he's gone through in his career. He's a guy that's been beat up a lot, and it takes a toll on you, especially when you rely on so much quickness and athleticism when you're a guy of his size, because your body's just not built to withstand the constant pounding that it takes at that position in the NBA. Danny, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Anytime. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to explain to you why Kyrie Irving is leaving the Boston Celtics. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. And once again, I do want to thank uh, Danny Cunningham for coming on the show. Really appreciate him spending some time uh, to come on. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, and coming up after the next break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to have Chris uh, Critton on the show. And me and Chris are going to talk a lot of things. We're going to duke out our argument between should Zion sit or should Zion play? You're gonna definitely going to want to hear that because me and Chris were texting back and forth for it seems like an hour. Sometimes we do that when we disagree on stuff. We've done that a couple of times. Uh... But it'll be interesting, and uh, Chris always has some good opinions, so I'm looking forward to hearing if Chris can change my mind. 
But here's where I want to go with this. Um, speaking of Jimmy Butler, just talk about Jimmy Butler with uh, Danny on. Players that are a little bit difficult to deal with, a little bit different, cause a little bit of controversy. Kyrie Irving. And I think Kyrie Irving, no matter what happens with Boston, I think Kyrie Irving's pretty much gone. In fact, I'll say this. If Boston goes to the finals, you know, the, the chances increase the further they advance, of course. But Kyrie is the type of dude that would win the championship and be like, no, Moss, I'm gone. We have three guys in free agency that I think would do that. I think Kawhi would do that. I think Kevin Durant would do that. Do that, And I think Kyrie would do that. I think th it's weird. It's weird. Those guys are all a little bit different in their own ways. Those are three guys. They win a championship this year. They could be like, no, Moss, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm going where I want to go. Uh, peace out. I'm done with y'all. I'll see y'all in the reruns. <laughs> That's what Kyrie's like. But I, I want to play a little bit of audio I had from uh, the last podcast I did when I had Clevis Murray on, uh, reporter for the Boston Celtics, for the Athletic. This is what Clevis had to say when I asked him about Kyrie and how Kyrie's different. But how is he different from your everyday superstar? Um, I mean, Kyrie's for sure. Man, I think some guys, some people need to realize that too. Is like, you know, these guys play basketball for a living. It's their job to play the play the game. Every every personality is different. Um, Kyrie's a really laid back guy. Um, obviously, he likes to keep to himself, which is fine. Nobody has a problem with that. You know, I remember, you know, one Celtics assistant coach like, you know, Kyrie's a guy that appreciates conversation. You know, if he, if he says hello, he expects a response back because he just likes the genuineness of just regular, being a regular human being. Now, the most interesting thing that Clevis mentions is, uh, well, when you say hello to Kyrie, he expects a, a hello back. And, you know, if he don't get a hello, and I know people like this, and usually this is like in the older generation, I feel like. You, you know, it's like when, when I see you and I know you, like, acknowledge me. If I wave to you, you wave back. If I say hi, you, you say hi back. And if you don't, I'm going to look at you a little bit funny. Uh, I, and I'll use the example because I think what the issue with Kyrie is, Kyrie is a, uh, kind of has an old soul a bit. But in the social media age, and he's younger, so he's a little bit more testy about it, and it can get get on his nerves, you know, get under his skin a little bit. But but, but here's let me give you an example, right? I remember about when I was like in eighth grade, there was this kid I played volleyball with against long. It was in sixth grade, as a matter of fact. Excuse me. In sixth grade, I was like on this modified volleyball team, and I played against this kid from this other school, and we saw this kid at this banquet, and my grandma remembered him. And my grandma pointed out the kid to me. He's like, hey, you remember my grandson? And, and the, I don't know if the kid couldn't talk or the kid was shy. Or the kid's like, who is this lady? And, and then the kid's just like, you know, just silent. And then my grandma points at me. So I guess she was already talking. She points at me. He's like, see, you remember him? And then he's like, no. And then my grandma, and I'll never forget this. My grandma was like, no personality. And then my grandma starts shaking her head. Now, here's the reason why I say that. Uh, because, you know, she comes from a generation where, you know, if you you have to communicate. I guess that's what disturbed her the most. Like, he couldn't communicate. That's why she said that. She couldn't communicate. He couldn't communicate and convey his feelings. And Kyrie's kind of like an old soul bit. Like, if you can't talk, if Kyrie says hi to you and you don't say hi back, Kyrie is going to have a problem with it. So, it's just about, uh, with everything, and it, it sums up really who he is. And, and I think that's the reason why Kyrie's probably not going to stay in Boston. Because I think Kyrie's a little bit alienated right now. Because Kyrie's the type of guy, once you've burned a bridge, it's hard to build it back up. He's kind of like Kobe a little bit in that regard. He keeps to himself, like Clevis said. You know, just does his thing. And when his thing starts being interrupted, he starts to get a little testy. He starts to get a little irritated. He starts to get a little ticked. And he starts to get a little pissed, ultimately. We can see he's getting testy with the media. Are you going to New York? Are you leaving? Are you going to resign with Boston? Are you going to resign with Boston? Kyrie's response is, ask me on July 1st when free agency is. Ask me on July 1st when free agency is. That's Kyrie's response. Because Kyrie believes, you know, he can do whatever he wants to do. And Kyrie doesn't like being told what to do. I was reading one reporter about a month ago that Kyrie's a little mad at the Boston Celtics because he doesn't like the reports that if they trade for Anthony Davis, that's, that somehow means that Kyrie would stay. Because Kyrie thinks that's manipulating him. Like, Kyrie's a deep dude. Kyrie thinks all about this stuff too much. And I think that, especially if Boston loses... If they lose prior to getting to the, the NBA Finals, then Kyrie's going to look at it and be like, I don't need this. Kyrie wants to do his own thing. And here's why I say this. If they, even though they won a championship, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyrie loses. I don't think Kyrie believes that he owes anybody anything. I think the only person he thinks he owes anybody anything is his father. And people in his family. And people like in that type of circle. Besides that, I don't think he thinks he owes Danny Ainge a damn thing. I don't think he think he owes Brad Stevens anything. I don't think he owes Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier a thing. 
Kyrie's going to do what he wants to do. Kyrie's going to do what he feels is right. And right now, it has not been looking right in Boston. I know they had the blowout win against the Golden State Warriors, and everybody's all excited. But it's also the same team that got blown out by the Houston Rockets last weekend. And I'm starting to get closer and closer, especially the more Kyrie talks to the media. Like, there was just a... Evan O'Connor for The Ringer did a really nice piece about Kyrie Irving. And one of the things he got, he got a quote from Kyrie, and it was like, I'm not going to miss any of this bleep when I'm done playing. Someone standing nearby noted that the lights and cameras are all part of basketball. Irving responded, I don't care if it is. I, I, I Kyrie doesn't care. Kyrie will, will you know, that's logical. Because remember when Kyrie was talking about, I didn't ask for this. Uh, I just want to be a basketball player. And y'all keep coming up to me, asking me these dumb questions, pissing me off. Kyrie is not here for it. Kyrie is the type of dude, Kyrie's the type of brother that is not there for the BS. He's not there for the bull. He, he isn't. He's not, he's not there for the buck kissing and the smoozing. Kyrie's here to do Kyrie. And I think Kyrie's a little bit different that way. I think we've seen other cases with other superstars, you know, Chris Paul, James Harden, Dwight Howard, they can be wooed a little bit, right? The team's winning, the team's successful, they'll stay. A Paul George. Kyrie is... Not it. Kyrie is not that dude in that regard. Watch Kyrie. Now, Kyrie could go to the Los Angeles Lakers and play with LeBron James and reunite with LeBron. He could go to New York and play with Kevin Durant. But right now, if the season ended today, if the season ended today, do I think Kyrie Irving would play with the Boston Celtics? No. And you all know that guy that's a little bit weird that defies logic. You all know that guy that you're like, damn, why is he doing that? doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make any sense. Boston has so much potential. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Al Horford, Gordon Hayward. Yet Kyrie still is acting like he wants to leave. Kyrie's a bit of a different dude. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk and have Chris Kurt on the show. Coming up next. back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Chris Critton, host of the Average Sports Guy podcast. How you doing, Chris? Doing well, Daryl. How you doing? I'm good. Now, for everybody who doesn't know, where can we find your podcast, Chris? Can you turn on uh, SoundCloud, the Average Sports Guy, is the name of these podcasts on SoundCloud. Also, you can follow the Instagram, the AC Podcast. Okay. So the, the first thing I want to talk to you about, Chris, is uh, it's something we, we, we were arguing about this last week. Zion Williams, should he sit or should he play? You think that he should sit. I think he should play. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why Zion Williams should sit out the rest of the season. He's won his three games now, I believe. Yeah. And, and Duke is not as good as a team without him, but he has to think about his future. And he, he's going to sign the biggest shoe contract in history for a rookie. He's going to have maybe the biggest signing bonus ever. And it's just, there's too much on the and there is going out there and playing. What would seem like to be a meaningless game, but if he's a guard that suffers some major injury or major setback, that would, wouldn't allow him to be the number one pick in the draft. Right now, he, he can never, he's not, even if he doesn't play another game this college season, he's going to be the number one pick. So if I'm him and I'm his family, I'm going to say, you know what, it's going to be a ride at Duke. You know, Duke has helped us out a lot. We're very grateful for what they've done for us, but you got to realize that I have a future. I have to go make money in a few months, man. This playing on these games it doesn't really matter to me that much. It's not going to help you that much more as opposed to me getting ready for the draft. But, Chris, doesn't, like, you know, now here, here's what I would push back. First of all, don't you think, well, like, I think Zion has a lot of things he could still get better on. I mean, his jump shooting, it's gotten a little bit, it's gotten better since the beginning of the year. But, I mean, to, to me, there is nothing better getting better than at a sport, than actually doing that sport, especially like having live goes in game action. What about that argument? I mean, I get that, but if you ask any player, they, they you make your most of your improvements come during the off season, not during the season. It's kind of hard. Yeah, getting live game reps is, is important, but working out and improve. He's not going to prove his jump shot in the season. It's just too hard. He has to go through drills. He has to go through training. He has to work on things like that. He has to watch film and give him the trainer to actually work on his jumper because, you know, if he, he's a good stand, standstill shooter, but he needs to work on, on shooting off the, 
off the bounce, off the dribble, that's not really something you can improve during the season. That's something that's going to take lots of rest. It's going to take lots of work during the offseason to improve on. So I don't really think there's, there's not much more you can gain from going out there and playing with Duke during the season. At this point, now they have one more regular season game left, and that's against North Carolina. And then they have the, the tournament, the ACC tournament, and then the NCAA tournament. But that may be what, I don't know, they're going to probably be in the quarterfinals or something in, in the ACC tournament. So we're going to have that, maybe three games there, and however long it's in the NCAA tournament. It's not going to make that big of an impact on him to go out and play. He's not going to get that much better playing in these, as, these two games as he would now Chris he had it he had a what he basically happened was he had a shoe malfunction it was kind of like a non-contact injury and to my point that can happen anytime any place that can happen when you're working out that can happen if you're doing suicides in practice it could but it's less likely he that because the problem is this is a freak accident yeah but he's so powerful. There have not been many athletes like him. So, for nice, he took a hit for the shoe malfunction. But, I mean, he's going to have to get a specially designed shoe. Like, guys like him don't come around often to where they, they play with so much power. Many times, I don't even think LeBron, at his age, as long as age, played with as much power as Zion does. He, and he does a lot of force when he's out in the basketball court from jumping, the cutting. Everything he does is, is really powerful. So, it was a freak accident. And, yeah, it could. I guess it could really have to be where, but it's less likely to happen during a workout session or during a training session than during a live game. And then my, my next question for you, Chris, is, I mean, even if Zion does get hurt, I, I mean, I don't think he loses that much to me. I think he's still going number one if he gets hurt. Like, I, I still think he's going to go number one. I mean, the shoe deal, it would probably affect the shoe deal a little bit in terms of money, but I'm, st- I'm pretty sure they'd still give him a shoe, a shoe deal because he's still a, an extremely marketable athlete. So if he gets hurt, how much money do you think he's really going to lose out on? Not being number one. The difference in the side bonus of him, the, the, the whole, everything around him is not hype, but like he, he's a marketable brand. So Zion Williams' brand is really big. His name is really big. You can, he's going to be a star. He's going to put some put bust in the seat. He's gonna, people are going to come watch him play. And that's the most important thing for not only our team, that's going to happen but himself is being able to market himself to get a large shoe contract to be able to count a large kind of bonus as a number one pick to be able to get endorsements from who, you know Gatorade or Kellogg's or whoever is going to find him that is around him being the number one pick you know you can't really go and say oh here's the number five pick in the draft Zion Williams he's a big name but what's Tom's better oh we have the number one pick Zion Williams from Duke we have the number five or six pick from Duke well, I, I, it's a big difference. It's a big difference in, in everything that goes around being number one. Because you know, we remember people still talk about Kwame Brown to this day. I mean, but it's, it's true. Like that's the kind of thing. He doesn't. People still talk about him. They think biggest number. He's a bust. He's maybe the worst number one pick ever. But what's the fact he's number one pick? People don't talk about him. If he's number five pick and he plays out, no, he's number one pick. That's being number one pick is a really big thing. I agree with that. I still think he'd be the number one pick. Personally, maybe. The only thing, maybe R.J. Barrett could take him maybe for the number one pick. Maybe. But that to me, that depends on which type of team. If he's injured, if he's injured, he's not going number one. I, I still think he'd go it, it number one. But, okay, we disagree on that. But here's my next thing. Even, even let's say he did slide in number three and you talk about the difference in money. At what point does money matter? Because at some point, you know, people always say, you know, to me, like money isn't everything. A lot of it is happiness. I, I mean, what you like doing, what you love doing. In this situation, money is everything. It really is. In this situation, money is everything. Because why, why are you playing? You're playing for love of the game, but you're also playing to get paid. Play. Well, what, you're playing he, to get paid. Everyone's going out there with the goal to make money, to make as much money as possible. Nobody, at this point, people say they care about winning. No one really cares about that. <laughs> you guys buy a contract. Mike Conley at one point found the biggest contract in, in league history, and he stuck in, in Memphis. I mean, yeah, they had a good team, but they didn't really ever have a realistic shot. Guys just fine because they want money. You're going to take the biggest contract you can get. Anthony Davis may be the rare exception because he doesn't want to be there, but um, I, if, I, if I see it, the way I see it is I'm going to go take the biggest contract I can get. And for Zion, 
don't get as much money as you can get because you never know. Because that freak shoot, that, that injury that happened to him already, when he sprained his knee, it could have been a lot worse. And then you, then what we're talking about now, he really does with more money. So money, money for these athletes is, is everything. I would, uh, that's just an instinct and age players on these guys winning as much as they play. So. Well, Chris, I, I think at the end, of, I, I'm pretty sure Zion is going to play uh, for the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, so I think it's a moot point. <laughs> I think he is going to I play. Mean, if, if he wants to, if, if he wants to, I'm, I'm with him. But if, if it was me, I would say. If it was my son, I would say no. Oh, oh. It's, he, it's his decision. His family can't make the best decision for themselves. So if that's what they want to do, fine. But for me, I would play him. No, no, and I agree with you on that. I mean, if, if, if that's what he wants to do with his family, there's nothing Coach Cam, you know, the Duke brass can do about that. There's nothing they can do about that. But I do think that he is going to try to play. I think, I, I think I'm hearing that. Like, that's actually a thing. Well, I mean, that's, I, I hope nothing happens to him. Like, I, I hope he goes out and everything's fine. I, just, I personally you know, I would let my son go through it. But if that's what they feel better, best for them, then go ahead. I mean, by all means, Now, now this gets into a bigger issue. Do you think this would be less of an issue if college athletes were paid? No. I, I was at work the day, so maybe an insurance policy like this. Like, would the guys that are really, really high? But, I don't know. I, it, just paying players is, is, is a sticky situation. It's tricky because not every school can afford to pay that team. So, I, I don't even want to say pay hey, I think they should be able to make money off their lives. That's all I want. It's for players to be able to make money off their lives. And if they can do that, I'm perfectly fine. I don't, I don't want to go into detail about paying guys because it gets, that gets tricky because not every school can play. You can only play these basketball players and football players. You can't pay the, you can't pay the track of this. You can't pay the softball athletes. And even at smaller schools, at lower D1 schools, they can't afford to pay players. So I think players should just be able to make money off their lives. If someone wants to autograph or now now Chris I want to go talk about the NFL draft a little bit uh Charlie Cashley had some uh scathing reports about Kyler Murray uh didn't really interview well apparently it was one of the worst interviews he's ever heard for multiple NFL teams and a lot of people have been blasting Charlie Cashley. Here's my first question. It's a two-part question. First, do you think Charlie Cashley was right or wrong uh, to have that report out there and put that report out there? And number two, do you think those reports have any credence about what type of quarterback Kyler Murray will be on the next level? It does. That's what people tell him. I don't know that's true. I, I don't. From what I've seen on Kyler Murray on television, I don't think he will be the worst interview you've ever seen. That, that, that's the big must Do you think Kyler Murray can be a successful NFL quarterback? I do. Now, now, Chris, you're you're also a Michigan fan, so you've seen Dwayne Haskins a lot too. Do you think that Kyler's better than Dwayne? Yeah, but whoever drafts is going to have to make changes and, you know, make 
kind of built their system around him to be successful. But I, I would say the way has to be better. Because the way has to make pretty much any job in football. So that dude's argument is amazing. He's, he's very accurate as well. So he's, he's the best passing quarterback that Ohio State's ever had. Now, uh, DK Metcalf lights up the combine. Uh, if you've seen this dude without his shirt off, it's pretty impressive. I have to say, I'm kind of jealous. 1.6% body fat, runs like a 431, did 225 on the bench press 27 times. But but to me, my biggest fear about it is when we look at the combine, you know, it's like a beauty pageant. We get all caught up in the 40, how fast you are, how strong you are, how good you look with your shirt off, and then we forget, can this dude actually play football or not? You think uh, DK Metcalf could be one of those stories when we look back at it and we're like, he was the combine warrior, but was he really a good football player? That was actually, I was going to ask you a question. I was going to say, you said all that. Does that mean he can play football? I, um, I don't know if he's going to be a good football player or not. It's kind of hard for receivers to come in, especially now. I didn't see him run around. I don't know if he can or not. That's the one thing. I didn't really watch him at Ole Miss, so I don't know how little football player he is. But the, the issue now with a lot of a lot of these things is, excuse me, in college, with the spread offices, guys are rush additional rock trees, and so it's kind of hard for them to come in and, and play right away because there's so many rock there to learn. And so if he's not a good rock runner, he's not going to play. He's not going to make a football player. Or at least that's the, that's the beginning because he doesn't know what he's doing. And it's always hard for a rookie receiver to come in and make an impact right away unless you're maybe an Odell Beckham Jr. And he's not an Odell Beckham Jr. From what I can see. Or from what, I, what I've read about him, he's not an Odell Beckham Jr. So... I don't think the jury's still out. I'm not gonna say we're gonna look back at him as his combine warrior because he put up these incredible numbers. We're gonna have to wait and see if he knows how to run routes, if he can get open, if he can create separation. And because I mean, this combine is cool, but everyone's in t-shirts and you're basically naked because the, the, the things you're wearing is they're so light and the shoes are so light and the shirt is so tight that nothing is really affecting the way you run. So you all these numbers are gonna look impressive, but. When you put pads on, it's, it's a whole different story. So I'm just going to drink a lot of them. It's back and say I'm a warrior or not. Now, Chris, I want your opinion on this. A lot of people have criticized Rashawn Gary. A lot of people have said, you know, he's he's kind of overrated because he didn't put up the big numbers at Michigan. He didn't have a lot of sacks at Michigan. Some people have said because that's because he was getting double teamed a lot, which a lot of other players on the team to make plays. What are your thoughts on Rashawn Gary? All right. I think I was, I was at one point on that train because he was getting double teamed a lot and he was getting held at some points but there's something left he left a lot on the table at Michigan he left a lot of meat on the on the bonus some people on the podcast like to say um, he there's a lot to be desired with him because I think he's not a position at Michigan I don't think he's a 4-3 DN maybe a 3-4 he can be a DN but at 4-3 he's not a, a DN he's more of an inside guy and at Michigan he wanted to play on the edge, so that that was did some of some of the service. I think he could have done a lot better as an inside, as a, as a defensive tackle as opposed to the defensive end. So there's a lot that to be desired. He's obviously a really good athlete, but there's another gear that has to be tapped. So what, whatever NFL team, if the NFL team can tap that potential, I think he can be a really good NFL player. We, there's a lot left to see. I don't think he's played his best football yet. There's a lot left. So, so whatever team does is going to have to tap that potential. He's probably going to have to, he's going to have to move inside to be effective on an everyday basis as a defensive tackle. But I, I think he can be really good. Uh, was he the overrated in Michigan? Yeah, but to be honest with you, when there's a hype machine like that, and Michigan is a hype machine, they're going to hype up all their athletes. And it is what it comes with going to a big university and being the number one overall recruit. It's really hard to live up to, to the expectations that are putting you. So, no, it's all because people are going to put unreal, unrealistic expectations for guys and not any guys up to it. Um, on the unrelated, unrelated topic, I don't know if you're going to talk about this later. Like how LeBron, he scored, he passed MJ on the scoring list. LeBron, he's one of the only athletes ever to live up to the hype that came with him coming to be on Sports Illustrated at 15, being the chosen one. Like, it's really hard for guys to live up to the potential of the hype. And I've been up with had those expectations, but there's a certain status that comes with being the number one overall recruit coming out of high school, and it's hard to live up to that, you know, especially at a big university, so I guess you can say he was, he was a bit overrated at Michigan, but he has a lot left. He has a lot left. He has a lot of good football left in him, so I wouldn't write him off. Now, Chase Winovich, he was the guy that was on the other edge at Michigan. How do you think Chase Winovich can translate to the NFL level? Because I'm a big Chase Winovich uh, fan. Every time I looked up, he was just making plays. Yeah, Chase is a really good football player, man. I think he's going to do really well in the NFL. 
at the end of the day, man, it's all about fit. If if the right team drafts you or not, it puts you in the best the best situation to succeed. That's all that really matters. So if he gets drafted by a good team that puts him in a good spot, I think Chase will do really well. Yeah, that's a little bit combined. He's a really wide comfortable guy in basketball. He's gonna do all the extra stuff, all the, the nitty gritty stuff, he's gonna be dirty, he's gonna be in the back for a lot, so I, I think Chase has a really bright future if he's drafted by the right team and put in the right situation. And the last Michigan player I'm going to ask you about is Devin Bush. How good do you think Devin Bush, uh, linebacker out of Michigan, can be? Devin Bush said, put the film on, and it speaks for himself. And I agree with him 100%. His film speaks for himself. He ran a 4-4 at the combine. And that's legit. That's like legit speed. He can, he is, he's a sideline squad player. If you watch him, he makes all the plays. I saw him against Wisconsin, I think it was. He shed a 300-pound lineman. And there are a lot of people talking about he's 5'11". This is a this lineman, 300 pound lineman, and all and all kinds of linemen. He shut that block and hit a tackle. Then that's terrible. You're all you need to know about Devin Bush. He his his instincts are good. He can diagnose any play, and make the play, and if he miss miss diagnosing the play, his speed can make up for it. So I think Devin Bush Devin Bush is going to be a terrific terrific football player. And my last question for you, Chris. I think I know what you're going to say to this, but just explain this to me. Why is Jim Harbaugh overrated? <laughs> you don't want me to get right up on me. I gotta go take a quiz. You, you just want to get me all. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, he just doesn't want to be desired, just like Rashawn Gary. He's had some good moments, and he's had in the, in the big games, he's come up short. So, um, I don't know, man. It, if he doesn't get it done this year, then I, 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 I'm, I'm ready to move on. I know I can't. It's just hard for you to answer the question because he just there's so much left to be desired from Jim Harbaugh. He's come so close at times in this field. Like last year, getting the Bears to Ohio State is not all his fault. I mean, you look at Ohio State's combine; they had guys running four threes. It, and sometimes there's nothing you can do, but they didn't make adjustments. He did. My thing with Harbaugh is when capitalized, he did. And that's the biggest thing about him is that he needed to beat Ohio State back in 2016. He needed to beat Michigan State back in 2015. He didn't do it. And that's, that's why there's so much pressure on him. Had he taken care of business before, things won't be in the status they are now, but he didn't take care of business, and when you don't take care of business, that's what happens there. Now, now, really quickly, can you can you describe me? Just describe to me this, Chris. I don't I don't mean to make you mad, Chris. Just describe to me, Chris. What was your swing of emotions from before the Ohio State game and the middle of the Ohio State game and at the end of the Ohio State game? Just describe your three emotions. Uh, so before, I was anxious because I didn't really know what to expect. I thought we were win because he you know, Ohio State was reeling. They weren't playing great. They almost lost to Maryland the week before. And then during the game, about halftime, I think the score was pretty even. We 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 were losing, but we made a run, and I thought, okay, maybe we have a shot. And then at the end, it's just like agony and frustration. It's just like, when is it ever going to end? When are we ever going to beat Ohio State? It's just, it was it was bad. bad. Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for having me. And one more time, where can we find your podcast? Podcast is on SoundCloud, the average sports guy. Okay, that's Chris Craig. And again, I want to thank Chris for coming on. Chris had a test. I hope actually Chris did well on that test. Uh, but I appreciate him spending some time and uh, coming up when he's busy. He has a lot of things to do. Chris is still in school, actually. I guess he was, still, he was telling me they don't have spring break until like a couple weeks from now. Got spring break now, so I'm happy about that. Sad it's ending. Next time, we have the podcast going on. Be in uh, University Heights, Ohio, John Carroll University, taking the show back to Ohio, back to the land. Gonna miss Buffalo. I'm gonna miss Buffalo. You know, I've had fun though. I've had fun uh, this break. Uh, like I said, the Snapchats, the Snapchat, the spring break chats, uh, spring break Snapchats were lit. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Everybody in like Fort Lauderdale and Miami and uh, Jacksonville having the time of their lives. Me, I'm just chilling, doing homework. Uh, Seeing old friends, podcasting, doing radio, just doing my thing. Again, want to thank Danny Cunningham for coming on the show. Want to thank uh, Chris Cripp for coming on the show. And also, also, 76 episode, Barbershop Sports Talk. Going to get to the big 80 soon. Excited about that. Thank you for listening to Barbershop Sports Talk, as always, on WJCU Radio, 7.30 to 8.30 every morning, every Saturday morning. This is Daryl Lane, and I am signing off.